Good morning, Mission Valley. No, I, I, I ain't feeling that. Let's try that again. Good morning, Mission Valley. Amen. I told uh, your pastor, my friend Dave, that when uh, he asked me to preach, I said, did your congregation understand what they're getting themselves into? Because I could be a shock to their system. <laughs> He's like, shock them. So if you're shocked, it's his fault. <laughs> he told me I could. Uh, I have Latino blood, if you can know this, so I tend to be a little exuberant. Amen? When I hear music, you know, I just got that in me. Can't help myself. And the African-American churches love me where I preach. But I understand you ain't all about that. When I was first here, I remembered a kind of fast-paced gospel song came on. And I started... And then I realized I'm the only one doing that because I can hear my hands. So, okay, you don't do that here. <laughs> so I'll try to tone it down, no promises. But uh, what I don't tone down is the Word of God. And I, what I don't tone down is the exuberance and the realness that Jesus means to me. Real quickly, just so you know who's in your pulpit, I come from a, a life of gangs, of drug dealing, of all kinds of things that... Uh, were not uh, pleasing to God, but in spite of that, God found me, he cleaned me up, he saved me, and it's still a miracle to me that I'm standing in pulpits. <laughs> I do, yeah, give God a praise for that. I pastored, I've, uh, I've done pulpit supply, which I'm kind of doing here, and, you know, it just amazes me the way that God uses me. And the realness that God is to me. So as I'm going to uh, speak about my uh, sermon on identity, I want you to understand what I understand as identity. See, when I was living my other life, and when I got involved in the things I was involved in, what you would call gangs, what I call gangs, because that's what you identify with. But growing up, we didn't call that. It was our clique, our clica. And when we talked about ourselves, the, the media, the police called us gangs. For us, it was Nuestra Latlica. It was our thing, you know, our, our group together, because that's all we were. But there was a lot of activities that went on that, you know, weren't pleasing. And in identity, what I understood was at a very young age, when I got fully indoctrinated into this organization of, of uh, neighborhood uh, young men and women. There were the homeboys, the homegirls that were just from the neighborhood, but then there were the hardcores. It was a deeper commitment. And I knew that if I identified with that, there was no out. You were all in or all out. There was no midway. And if you weren't all in, if you were a wannabe, when it came time to prove yourself, you would be exposed if you were for real or not, if you were all in, all committed. So I just say that I won't go no more into that because it's not glorifying to God, but just to give you understanding how I understand what identity means. If you identify with something, to me, it's you're all in. But in order to be all into something, you have to understand that, right? I know it sounds like my voice, but my voice is always like this. And, and that's a long story in itself, how that happened. I won't go into that. So you have to understand certain things. 
So if we're going to understand identity, you know, a lot of times you hear identity in Christ, right? I hear that a lot. I say it a lot. But what I found in my time as being an SUD counselor, substance use disorder counselor, and now I work for uh, intensive intensive, uh, case management services. We're homeless. What I understand is a lot of times verbiage and phrases become so familiar that we're very adept at the phrasing without really knowing what we're talking about. Amen? Oh, right. I got an amen back from you. Amen. So we're doing good. Holy Spirit's moving in here. Yes, thank you, Jesus. So in understanding that, one time with my, um, with my Bible study group, I did a little test with them. I told them, imagine I'm somebody coming off the street. You know, maybe one of you brought me, whatever. I'm not a Christian. I don't really understand what's going on. I'm listening to you. You know, it intrigues me. It interests me. It makes me question. So I ask you, why should I join this? What, 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 you know, giving into this Jesus thing and what you call, what's in it for me? What, what's the value of me signing up for this? And my group at the time had about 45 people in the roster. Uh, not all of them were there that day, but there were 30 something there. So I went through each one and let each one convince me. It took a while, but my groups used to go along, if you remember. <laughs> and uh, at the end of it, I told them, well, you know what? I don't know what you're talking about. Born again, redemption. What does that mean? That don't mean nothing to me. So you see where I'm going with this? In order to understand when we talk about our identity in Christ, how do we break that down? What, does, what are we really talking about? Because I would submit to you, brothers and sisters, that if you don't know how to explain your faith, if you don't know how to explain it, how are you going to influence somebody to live it? If you don't even know what it means. So you have to be able to explain things. And that's what I found out in, in, in uh, substance use disorder counseling when I would do groups. I would find out they knew all the terminology. They knew about coping skills. They knew about relapse prevention. They knew about all these things, but they didn't really know what they meant. And I know a lot of times churches, when I, when I go down this vein, they're like, oh, what does addiction have to do with us? You know, you're, you're speaking a foreign language. There are no addicts here. Okay, I won't dispute that because I won't get you mad at me. But what I will say, the, the definition of addiction is submitting or giving in to a compulsive behavior despite the known consequences. Now, does that describe sin? <laughs> Amen? Amen's getting fewer, but they're still there. <laughs> so with saying all that, let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I just... Uh, ask you uh, from the depths of my heart uh, that your love just extend out through me onto this congregation. Help me to speak in ways that will educate, enlighten, and inspire, Lord. I pray for everybody that's in the sound of my voice 
that they will be encouraged, Lord, that they will be empowered to receive of this word. I ask you to sort out whatever I think I should say, whatever I want to say from what you want me to say. And I pray it be said in a way that is totally uh, founded on love, instruction, and the well-being of those that are listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So when we're talking about identity, to understand what our identity in Christ is, I put up as my title, as you can see, Identity Crisis. You might say, well, I don't have identity crisis. I know who I am. So maybe you do. This message is meant to find that out. Let's, let's explore that. And whenever you're, you're exploring something, you're setting goals to come to a, a, a certain conclusion or to meet a certain uh, goal, in my work and what I do and what I've done for years and what I'm doing now, we use a tool called SMART, if any of you have ever heard of that, which means the goals need to be specific, they need to be measurable, they need to be achievable, they need to be relevant, and they need to be time-centered. Got that? There's a test later, so hang on. <laughs> so with that in mind, let's, let, let's explore identity and see if there is identity crisis going on. And as you notice, I use the scriptures, Matthew 13 through 16. And in using the scriptures I'm going to use, I'm going to use a formula to identify the who, the what, the why, and the how. Okay, in Matthew, it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the first question that is uh, addressed to who? Who identifies us? Who gives us our identity? Christ, right? Who says we are the salt of the earth? Jesus does. Who says there may be a identity crisis? Jesus does. <laughs> right? Because he's saying if that light isn't shining, if it's hidden, there's a, there's a cry because you forgot who you are. You forgot who you're supposed to be. Amen? And who is he talking to? <laughs> Us. If anybody has the identity crisis, is it Jesus? <laughs> who is it? Us. Right. Don't ever get so caught up in yourselves that you think preaching doesn't apply to you. That's the worst thing. Usually, if you're in the room when a certain message is being preached, it applies to you. <laughs> Amen? If you're preaching a certain message, it applies to you. Amen? goes for preachers, too. So now we got the who. So the What? What is our identity in Christ? What does it mean to be identified with Christ? And for that, we go to 2 Corinthians 5, starting from the 14th verse through the 20th. 
For Christ's love compels. Our better uh, definition for compels is controls. Or Christ's love directs, guides us, right? Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. So... From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Or in other words, come back. So what is our identity in Christ? What does it mean? The scriptures are very clear. We are ambassadors, right? We are representatives. What do we, repre- what do we represent? The reconciliation. That God so loved the world, right? That he gave Jesus to just give Jesus? No, to get us back. <laughs> That's what reconciliation means. To get back what was lost. And if that can't make you shout, if that can't make you get excited, I know you ain't a shouting church, but I can at least stir you up, then something wrong. See, that's why I say the identity in Christ. That's why you hear it so much. And I want you to understand what it means to identify with Christ. Is this what you're identifying with? The constant reminder and realization of what God did to you, for you through Christ. And if you notice, it says the new creation has come. A lot of times there are other versions that say, you know, become a new creature. And sometimes that could be re- a little misleading because that makes us think, well, if I haven't changed completely, I don't know what's wrong. Or I got to act like I changed completely or nobody's going to believe that I'm a Christian, right? I got to put up this front. No, it says the new creation has come. That means when the Holy Spirit's come to you, the new creation has come to you. It's in you. You don't change. You're still the same person. Paul was still the same person. He still was as exuberant as ever. He just didn't hate anymore. That exuberance was focused on love. Right? That exuberance wasn't focused on jailing Christians. It was focused on reconciling. So you don't change. I don't change. I'm still the same person I was. I still got the same habits and stuff. It's just I don't use them in the same manner. And it took me a while to realize that. Because I used to, you know, didn't know better and try to put it on the front and talk really, you know, good and biblical and seminary words and all that. And then God said, what are you what are you doing? Get, get over yourself. 
Just be who I made you to be. That's enough. I chose you because you can speak in a way that others can't. And I'm going to use that. Amen? All right. Now we come to the why. So we've identified who we know what we're supposed to be. Why are we supposed to be that? Because that's sometimes where we get stuck, right? We're like, okay, I got all that, all that, but the why doesn't work for us. So we decide the why. Well, this is why I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it for this reason, for that reason, right? I'll do it, you know, to get a couple of my cousins, you know, m- more godly so they'll get off my back, <laughs> right? Or so I don't have to worry about them so much or whatever. We got our own whys, right? So what does, what does the word of God say about why? In Romans 12, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So do we know what the why is now? Yes or no? Do we know? Yeah, what's the why? Understanding God's will. Anybody else? Okay, you're not that church. All right. (laughs) Yes, it is because it is your true and proper worship. What is what is our what is our purpose at being ambassadors? Why are we being those ambassadors? Because we're trying to please God, right? Any church mission, any church vision, whatever it is, and this is a good one that you have here, but it always has to be founded on pleasing God. That's what it's all about. We want to please God and we want to serve him in the manner he wants to be served. When I came to the Lord, I remember, you know, when I finally got through to my thick head and this was real and, 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 and this was giving me hope and a new purpose in life. I remember looking up to God and saying, anywhere, Lord, anywhere you send me, whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. Sometimes I regret that prayer because <laughs> he's helped me to it. Whenever I complain about, Lord, why is this going on? Why is this happening? Why isn't this? You say, wait a minute. My son, didn't you say anywhere I want to put you, anything I want to do? Isn't that, you know, what we, you said to me? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. And, and your pastor Dave knows that my life has been anything but smooth. <laughs> There's been many trials, many tribulations, uh, many things that need to be changed. I really appreciate last week's message uh, in the series about examining yourself. Where do you play a part into it? You know, that makes you kind of uh, search yourself. Amen. So now that we got the, we got the uh, who, what, and the why, because we want to know in a, be approved of God, be approved by his will, his, and please him and do his will. Now comes the interesting part. How? 
And this is another part where sometimes we decide how, right? We want to, well, I'm going to do it like this is how I'm going to do it. So, but what's the word of God says? To transform, right? Transform our thinking. A lot of times we don't want to do that because we like the way we think, right? We like what we think about. We're used to thinking like that, and it works for us. And I'm not saying that it might not be working right, that God doesn't approve it, but what I am saying, always check with God on it. Don't, don't, don't get off on yourself and saying, well, this is how God has agreed with it because it works for me. Not always. So if we do come to the point to say, okay, some things need to ch- change, so how do you go about change? How do you go that transformation of your mind? Well, you have to identify. And uh, in, again, in my line of work and when I'm teaching these things, I change the state, I teach the state, stages of behavioral change. And those stages are, and I'll go through them real quickly. First one is pre-contemplation. When you're in the pre-contemplation stage, which may be where some of you are today, I don't know, only God knows, it means you don't even know there's a problem. (laughs) You haven't even started to think about it. You're just saying, hey, it's all good. You know, I'm all good. Everything's good. The second stage is contemplation. That's when you get to the point and say, no, it isn't good. Something ain't working. I feel conviction. This message is speaking to me. Or, that verse, or you know, the feedback I'm getting, people are starting to convict me. Something needs to change. So then once you get to that point, then comes the third, and that's preparation. This is when you say, okay, because a lot of times people could stay in contemplation forever. <laughs> Something needs to change, but... And you know that until Jesus comes. (laughs) So preparation means, okay, I need to make a plan. I need to prepare. How am I going to go about this change? What am I going to do? Am I going to start going to church more regularly? Am I going to pray more? Am I going to read my Bible? Am I going to join a Bible study group? Uh, You know, what, what, what do I need to lay out to make this change so I could be more pleasing to God? So I could be in the atmosphere and around people that help me, more conducive to understanding his will, to fulfilling his will. Amen? Now, you could be in that stage forever, too. <laughs> Always think, you know, mañana, I'll get to it. I'll do one of these days, I'll get there. The next stage is the important action. That's when you actually put some feet under that prayer. You get out and you actually go to that Bible study. You volunteer that. You do whatever it is that God is, is, is moving you to do. And all these things have to be undergirded with prayer, accountability, and confirmation. I'll say that again. Prayer, accountability, and confirmation. You've got to keep praying for, before God. You've got to stay on your knees, brothers and sisters. You've got to be accountable. to. You've got to go to people that are going to hold you accountable. They're going to tell you the truth, speak truth to you. And there has to be confirmation that this is from God. Amen? Then when you get to that point, then you're in the maintenance stage. That's when you're, you're fulfilling the actions and you're maintaining. Right? You're, you're doing what you're doing, supposed to be doing. You're getting the rhythm. It's going good. Now, in a lot of teachings, it stops there. They only identify five stages of behavioral change. So once you're in your maintenance, you're good. But there's actually a sixth stage, and that stage is relapse. 
Sound familiar? Relapse is when you go back to how you were before, right? None of us do that, right? I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the wrong church. And it actually, it tends to be a loop. And that's where grace comes in. God knows this. Thank God. Somebody, somebody say thank God for that amazing grace. Amen? That in spite of this, in spite of our best efforts and falling on our face time and time again, disappointing God, he will pick us back up and say, okay, you were doing good. What cut you off? What caused you to stumble? Let's start over again. Amen? So what are the results of this? So remember I said in the SMART formula, there has to be measurable results. How do you measure the results that this is even happening, that this change is happening, that your mind is being renewed? It's because when you're not in this stage or you're, you're... a lot of times what I notice in backsliding or in the relapse part and stuff, you start knowing when to hear things, right? You don't want people to tell you things anymore. And you sure don't want to hear any preaching. <laughs> you avoid it, right? So when you know that you're getting the right results, the f- and, and I'm getting these from First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 18, the first one that, I, that I'm submitting to you is that you value the preaching of the Word of God. In verses 12 through 13, it says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish. It means literally to put in mind or warn you, or give spiritual guidance. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Amen? Another, and I mentioned it earlier, Another result that should be happening is you will start to hold each other accountable. In verse 14, it says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. You still with me? Next, avoid personal revenge. Uh oh. <laughs> Getting a little close to home now. In verse 15, it says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else's, and for everyone else, excuse me. And all this accumulates and is expressed in the last point, in the last verses, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray constantly, and be thankful in everything. Amen? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen? So, as I conclude this message, I just want to say to you, I hope that it's speaking to somebody's heart. Somebody, It means something to me, because I understand how hard it is to be thankful in everything. But because my identity, I know who I am in Christ, that makes that possible. Even though a lot of things have gone wrong. You know, I came from where I came from to never wanting to be a pastor, becoming a pastor, you know, being called to be a pastor, going through the ordination process and think, okay, 
this thing I've been fighting against you, Lord, all that, okay. You don't want me to be a pastor? You do want me to be a pastor? I don't know, but I don't want to be one. So finally, I finally said, okay, you want me to be a pastor? I'll be a pastor. So then after I was pastor for a while, I got to let go. <laughs> Como dices, Scott? <laughs> I thought this is what you wanted for me. Now you're saying no? That was a hard time. I, I know Dave knows because he counseled with me through that. I don't get it. But one thing I did get, I know who I am in you. And my identity tells me that I can trust you in all things. And I used to literally walk up and down in my, in my house. Just, I trust you, God. I trust, man, it's so hard to trust you. But I trust you. I'm struggling to trust you, but I'm trusting you. I trust you. I trust you. And I would say it over and over until it became for real. Yeah, I do trust you. I do. Sometimes we got to do that. Amen? Because in all circumstances, it's not always easy to trust God. So I hope, you know, that this will give somebody encouragement, some, some uh, sense of uh, identity. Because if you don't know who you are, and that's what I, you know, that's why I liken a lot to, to recovery. Because a lot of times clients that are in recovery are having a hard time recovering because they don't know who they are. They don't know who they're recovering to. <laughs> they don't know what they're recovering to be. <laughs> they're lost. So in order to reconcile and to identify with Christ, you got to know what the identity is. Who are you? And then to find that out, you got to go through these steps, these stages. They don't just happen one, two, three, the way I did them. This is actually part of a bigger series called Walk the Walk, but I'm just boiling it down for the time I have here. So follow, follow, follow the guidelines. And I say this because as a testimony to God, it won't make your life always better. It won't make its circumstances better, but it will make you better. You will love your God deeper. You will trust him more, and you will be able to walk with a smile and hope. And when you have hope, you give hope. I think some of the most powerful uh, ways God has used me is because my situations have been so hopeless and I found hope in them that I could give that hope to others. Don't tell me you can't hope in this. I've been through worse. <laughs> you can do it. I promise you. God will come through. I promise you. And I can make that promise because he come through for me time and time again. I've been serving God since 1981 and he's never failed me. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me and he's always here for me. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.